uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Is the secret of Soylent Green. New York City, in the year 2022. Nothing runs anymore. Nothing works. But the people are the same. And the people will do anything to get what they need. This is the police! What they need most is Soylent Green. The supply of Soylent Green has been exhausted. Detective Sergeant Thorne. He has a two-year backlog of unsolved murders. Now he's on a case that must be solved. Saul Roth, Thorne's private library. Hey, Saul. A living book in a world without books. Have some pencils. Courtesy of your next assignment. William R. Simonson. Simonson. He was the first to learn the secret of Soylent Green. They told me to, uh, to say that they were sorry but that you had become unreliable. <laughs> Saul Roth was the next to know. How did we come to this? And he chose to die, rather than reveal the secret of Soylent Green. What is the secret of Soylent Green? <clears throat> Why did you shut up, Simonson? I didn't. Cheryl. See your hands. Officially, she's furniture. She comes with the apartment. She belongs to the tenant. How many times you've been in trouble with the police, Cheryl? Never. Can't hear you. Never. Captain Hatcher. First, he wanted this case solved. Simonson. What do you say? It was an assassination. Now, he just wants it closed. Who bought you? High and hot, and they want this case closed permanently. Their way. Now, you sign this. You sign it! Dorn refuses to close the Simonson case. Just do what you have to do. Where did you go with Simonson? He took me to church. Church? Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been six months since my last confession. Alton Heston, Edward G. Robinson, Chuck Connors, Lee Taylor Young, Brock Peters, Paula Kelly, and Joseph Cotton. Fight for survival and try to solve the most bizarre riddle ever to face mankind. The search for the secret of Soylent Green. You will find out why Soylent Green means life. You will find out why Soylent Green means death. We've got to stop him! What is the secret of Silent Green? Please! 
Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And welcome back to Planet 8. On this episode, your intrepid crew is going to be taking a deep dive into the dystopian futuristic or futuristic dystopian film, Soylent Green. Straight away, let's kick it up to the satellite. Walker, what have you got for us? Well, Larry, Bob, uh, I think this has been sort of a long time coming. We've we've talked about Charlton Heston's other dystopian films, Chuck Heston. So he had sort of this cycle going in the 70s, right? Right. <laughs> he did Planet of the Apes in uh, 68, which definitely is a dystopian film. We talked a while back about Omega Man, which was uh, his version of I Am Legend, mm -hmm. and another great dystopian movie from him, which was uh, 71. And so now we get to his trifecta of Soylent Green in 73. And so for a little background on, on what was going on at this time, um, and I will look at my notes because I am a cheater. I look at notes. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to understand kind of what's happening at that time, one of the big concerns was overpopulation. People were really concerned that like um, there were going to be too many people, there was going to be famines, we're going to run out of food, and it was just going to be like the end of the world. And there was actually this book written in um, 1968 called The Population Bomb. It was written by Paul and Anne Ehrlich. Uh, Paul Ehrlich was a Stanford professor. And so uh, he predicted, you know, based off of trends that he was seeing that there would be overpopulation. And, and his book talked about you know, all these controls that should be put in place. So it was a little bit um, maybe fascistic. There were, he had all these ideas about, you know, sterilization and controlling the number of children people could have and all these kind of things, which I think would definitely be seen as over the top by most people nowadays. Uh, and and I think there was a, a pretty strong reaction to this book um, even back in the, the late 60s and early 70s. Um, so, you know, people were concerned about overpopulation. And one of the people concerned about overpopulation was Charlton Heston. And so uh, I have a copy of his autobiography, which is a huge honking book. And I, I'll tell you, it's very interesting. <laughs> he, um, lived, he lived a huge honking life. <laughs> he, he really did. And to digress just a little bit, um, if you have any interest in this man at all, I would recommend picking up his book, which is called In the Arena. I have to say his his at least his political journey was very similar to my parents, which I thought was interesting. He started off early in his life, early in his career, being fairly liberal. He actually well, he was president of the Screen Actors Guild. Um, uh, like in the 60s, he marched in a lot of civil rights uh, protests and was was considered rather liberal. I know this is probably shocking to a lot of people because I think the image of him is as a staunch conservative and gun rights supporter. And that's sort of the journey he made in his life was going from this 
sort of more liberal background to a very conservative background. And it's interesting to read his thoughts on this. And um, my parents sort of did the same thing. They were Kennedy supporters and then wound up being like Reagan Reaganites. So it's for me, it was kind of interesting read. Uh, but he does talk about Soylent Green and he does talk about why he wanted to make this movie. Got to take the glasses off of this. So he says in his book um, that, uh, so he was out making Call of the Wild, and then he found out that uh, a producer he worked with, Walter Seltzer, had taken a novel I'd wanted to film for a long time and sold MGM on it. The novel was called Make Room, Make Room, set in New York in 2022, you guys, when the city's population had exploded to 47 million people. Since I strongly believe that overpopulation is by far the gravest problem the world faces, this would be my only message movie. So he considered Soylent Green a a message movie that he was making to make a point. Um, He would go on to say that he was very proud of the film and delighted by its success. He says, still, I think the central reason why it turned out so well Uh, and that multitudes came to see the film was Edward G. Robinson. Casting him was my idea, probably the most important contribution I made to the picture. So he was very focused on this idea of overpopulation, very concerned about it. And that was why he he wanted to make this book into a movie. Um, Now, I did go on and find online an article that was uh, part of a book a collection of essays by different authors. And there was an essay in there by Harry Harrison, who was the author of Make Room, Make Room, the basis of Silent Green. And uh, he wrote an essay called Cannibalized Novel Becomes Soylent Green. (laughs) And so he was a little bit less than thrilled with the version of the movie that came from his book. Um, Some of the things he had to say in there was that you know, they've been that Heston and, and Walter Seltzer had been trying to make this book of his into a movie for years. And that one of the things that they had to do was add this idea of cannibalism to it in order to get the producers to go with it. So the the story itself did not have the Soylent Green crackers. It didn't have any element of cannibalism, but it was about overpopulation. Yeah, we should probably get that spoiler out of the way early. (laughs) (laughs) I just sort of assume that people should know this by now. You know, there were so many articles that came out last year because 2022 was the year that the film was set in. And I think I probably read half a dozen articles about, are we in Soylent Green? Is Soylent Green predicting the future or predicting now? Um, So, yes, of course, Soylent Green is... People, people. Right. So, yeah, Harrison was a little bit disappointed with that. He seemed to feel like it was a sensationalistic element that was added to his story. Um, But that's what people remember the most. Well, yeah, exactly. So I think without that, it would never have been made. Um, He did say he thought the production, the acting and everything was extremely professional Uh, He also really appreciated the opening uh, montage scene, which was made by a guy named Chuck Braverman. Um, But he said that, uh, yeah, it it was not 
he hated the script because of, of that inclusion. And, and there was a lot of other things that he thought were overly simplified in it. But I think one of the things we can say about the film, okay, the overpopulation thing didn't happen, but um, the idea of climate change, they talk about a heat wave all year long, the greenhouse effect. Um, I'm sure there's people out there who would disagree, but I think we're seeing a lot of climate effects now that we haven't seen in the past. Um, another thing is politics and big business. And we saw how the Soylent Corporation was kind of controlling a lot of um, what was happening with uh, like the, the um, political figures. The governor was in on this whole thing with Soylent and sort of that weird, um, not military industrial complex that we were warned of, but sort of this weird political and industrial complex. And then um, also the police and the extreme militarism of the police with the scoops and everything, right? That was, you know, sort of, we've seen a, a lot, especially in the last few years, we've seen a lot of riots and things happen. So that was a little bit, it, there were a lot of things in this that sort of struck home with me, especially after going through the last few years and all the things we've had to see, live through, et cetera. Um, the widening gap between the haves and have-nots and stuff. So anyway, I'll just I just kind of throw that out there. And if you guys want to discuss some of the plot points, I think well, we I, we can oh, ahead, Bob. On I was going to say, yeah, it's kind of amazing. You know, even though it's kind of a simple film, and and yeah, it's from way back when. But just the things that stick with you. You know, not only the whole soil and green as people thing, but I mean. When I see crowds of people rioting on TV or something, I first thing I think of is where's the steam shovels? You know, where's the scoops? You know, <laughs> get them out, you know. But um, but yeah, no, I I think the big thing about this film is the fact you have Charlton Heston, you've got another Charlton, you got like Chuck Hes uh, Chuck Connors. Connors, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you have Edward G. Robinson. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite Whit Bissell. I mean, you have like an amazing cast in this movie and yeah. uh, they all do a great job uh, with their characters and the acting. And, you know, it's like, it could be a pretty silly concept if the actors can't pull it off seriously enough to get that message across. I think of of the three dystopian films uh, Karen mentioned, this is the one that had the least hope for me. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it ends in a very, uh, on a bad note, you know? And look, with, with having gone through, oh, and I noticed in some of the scoop scenes or, or the outdoor scenes, people are wearing masks. Mm -hmm. So it led me to believe, was it an air quality thing? Was there some right. form of a pandemic? And uh, if they, you live near San Francisco, I mean, there's images in this movie of people just sleeping on the streets, sleeping on stairwells, sleeping, you know, like right. side to side, you know. Exactly. Totally so, overcrowded. Yeah. And, and yeah, if you go down to downtown San Francisco these days, yeah, you know. And I think one of the universal plots, not just in this film, but even in today's, some of today's films, 
is the haves and the have nots. Yeah. And it's a very uncomfortable, you know, I, I love the film, um, but it's very uncomfortable. Some of the conversations that these people are having between the haves and the have nots, um, you know, the, the guy is, is killed and, and Charlton Heston goes in there as a, as a police officer and is kind of taking like food and like a pencil and, you know, things that, uh, you know, Edward G. Robinson and he are, are roommates um, that, that he wanted to share with him and the, you know, the whole thing with the, with the corporation lying and saying, Oh yeah, this is um, from the sea. Um, uh, you know, the Soylent uh, company, the Soylent Green product, the wafers, it's algae. And, and you know, unfortunately, we come to find out uh, that was not the case, that the, right. the seas are actually dying. Right. Although right. in the novel, I think Soylent Green, it, was all, it wasn't a wafer. It was like a steak. Right. <laughs> and it, it was made from soy and plankton. It was based. Yeah. Yeah. So there was uh, there was no people. <laughs> that kind of yeah, foretold that, the whole impossible burger thing and all that. It's kind of interesting because Heston's character is not his typical. Well, I guess in these, you think about all three of these movies, he's not your typical, um, you know, Dudley do right, good, you know, oh, yeah, no, do gooder, no. right? Right. And in this one, That's... he's probably sort of the least recognizable as a hero because as you say larry like when he goes to investigate that murder he pilfers like everything he can get right and it what's really sad is when he brings it home to saul at a, at one point after you know he, here's pencils here's paper because and then you realize oh there's no trees left that's why they don't have any paper and then i think he pulls out the stake and then saul just starts sobbing yeah and and it's <laughs> It really, you know, it's funny. I've seen this film so many times, but I, I did have a different reaction this time when I saw it. And I, I thought, yeah, you know, if you could not get your hands on these things and you knew that they probably were a lot of them gone for good, you would have that kind of reaction and to be there saying, you know, my God, what have we done to ourselves? You well, know? And Saul had a line. I can't quote it exactly, but you know, what have we become? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, like you said, Walker, it really hit me different, you know, this time, um, you know, and, and the simple thing, the simple act of saying, you know, I love you, Saul. Hmm. It, it, it was so meaningful because we have nothing, but we still have each other. And I think for me, the pivot of Heston becoming the, the hero is when Saul says, Soylent Green, you know, whispers to him, it's, it's people and you have to tell them. You have right. to. And that's when he's like, okay, this is for Saul. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, well, was it. Well, and and when he goes in and he sees all the the images, right? When Saul has decided, I've had enough. I can't live with this anymore. This knowledge, and he goes to the euthanasia center. Yeah. Boy, that is a hard one too. I, 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 <laughs> and, and like Bob mentioned, all the great actors, right? This could have been really like a B-grade movie with bad actors, but these right. actors really elevate the material. 
And that scene really hit me this time around, maybe because I'm getting older, maybe because we've lived through a lot of crap the last few years. But that scene between the two of them, and you're right, Larry, that's when Thorne, Heston's character, has this change where mm -hmm. he has to be more than just looking out for himself. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that scene with Edgar G. Robinson, uh, I read uh, one in one place that his wife could not be there when they were shooting that scene mm -hmm. because he had stomach cancer. In fact, right. he passed away like, you know, a week, 10 days, something right. like that. Right. That was the last scene he ever shot. And, you know, it was a scene of his death. So um, even Charlton Heston said it was the most emotional scene he had ever shot. Mm -hmm. And he did not know at the time that Edgar G. Robinson was suffering from stomach cancer. Right. But he knew that he could feel there was something going on and there was something there. And the emotions that both actors put forth in that, uh, in that scene is pretty heavy. It is. Yeah. It is. It's, it is moving. I, I have to admit, I, I got a little bit misty during that sequence. <laughs> Which hadn't well, happened before. Of course I cried. <laughs> <laughs> the man tears were flowing. Um, and, you know, I haven't seen this for a, a number of years. It was uh, Dick Van Patten was, was the guy that escorted... The uh, attendant, yeah. Yes, yeah. I was like, hey. You know, hey. it's funny because I don't know if Dick Pat Van Patten was ever young. <laughs> this was, quote, a young Dick Van Patten. My, my niece, Kayla, she goes through, like, photos in your book, and she's like, Pumba, you've always looked the same. I'm like, hey. <laughs> that's that's a, a good catch, yeah. Yeah, I, I was like, "Whoa, um, oh God!" Her name evades me. Uh, the the book uh, club people um, to Paul. Oh. Uh, well, so you're thinking of the woman oh. who played Pow? Oh, sorry, yeah, oh, Celia Lovsky. Thank you, Celia Lovsky. Yes, I noticed a lot of Star Trek people in this movie. Yes, so, um, yeah, I, I I was surprised because. I've only really seen her in a muck time Star mm -hmm. Trek. Mm -hmm. And the accent that she has in there is, you know, is a really cool accent, really. And I didn't know that was her actual real accent because <laughs> she talks the exact same way in this movie that she did in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. That's Apparently cool. Vulcans sound like Austrians, I guess. <laughs> well, who knew, right? Well, yeah. Does that mean Arnold? Arnold has a a Vulcan accent. Wouldn't it be great to put the ears on Arnold and live long and prosper. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they also had, um, I think, Larry, before we started recording, you mentioned Brock Peters. Brock Peters. That's right. Mm -hmm. He was in a number of Star Trek uh, films and um, television series. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, Cisco's dad. Famously, Cisco's dad. Right. So one, um, one of the conspirators in in the undiscovered country. Uh huh. So, was Admiral. Um, yeah. yeah. And who did you mention, Karen? There was another. Um, so. E pluribus. <laughs> so Roy, Roy Jensen played Donovan. He was one of Governor Santini's aides slash, I think, assassins. And I kept looking at him and looking at him, and I was like, 
I recognize this guy. <laughs> he was Cloud William from the Omega Glory in Classic Trek. He he did the E Plubnista. E Plubnista, <laughs> and I totally missed that. So yeah, that was that was interesting. I was like, oh wow, I I don't think I've seen this guy in anything else. I you know he's probably been in a lot of westerns and other stuff from that time. Um, but I just, I, I kept looking at him and I was like, who is this? So yeah, yeah Cloud sure William. As, as I binge my way through the invaders, I'm sure he's probably in there somewhere. You know, everybody is in the invaders. Okay. This is a little side journey. Bob and I have both been watching the old Quinn Martin invaders. And yes, yep. like it's worth watching just to see the guest stars. Cause it's like everybody from the late sixties, early seventies on TV well, I watched one yesterday, and William Wyndham was in there. Yep, I saw William Wyndham as like the Air Force base guy. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, young Dabney Coleman is also popping up. Um, weird, no facial hair. Weird. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just about everybody winds up on the invaders. It's no facial hair. He looked naked then. <laughs> he looked very baby-faced. Probably why he grew the facial hair. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, but it's 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 worth watching just for that. But it's a cool show, I have to say. Maybe we'll maybe we'll convince Larry to. Oh, the commander's going to have to start catching up. <laughs> well, now that Halloween's over and and our binging of of different horror franchises uh, is over here and in, in the house, uh, we can start fitting in some invaders. Invaders. It's a good show. And it has a small number of episodes. It's a Quinn Martin production. How could it be bad? I know. <laughs> in color. Yeah. Invaders in color. You know, getting back to, uh, oh, sorry, Karen. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, you had something you're in for him. I, I was just going to say, you know, I mentioned before it was the most dystopian of, of the films. I don't remember feeling as uncomfortable as I did watching this. Um, mm -hmm. I remember Chuck, Chuck Connors is a heavy because my grandmother loved the Rifleman. So we'd always watch, you know, and it's, it's, hey, Paul. Yeah, you know. Um, but he, it, it was kind of like watching David Tennant play the heavy in uh, Jessica Jessica Jones. Um, mm. it, it just felt uncomfortable watching someone who you've always seen as a hero play the heavy or Harrison Ford in, in What Lies Beneath. You know, it just kind of like throws you off. Um, I mean, I, could, I couldn't root against him. In fact, I was kind of rooting for him when he's fighting with uh, Charlton Heston. Isn't oh, Bob. Wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, before I forget to, and, and you'll have to forgive me, I, I should have wrote down the name of the actress who played the, the um, let's say, girlfriend of, of uh, Charlton Heston. Um, she was one of the only cast members, from what I read, that survived to 2022. Uh, Lee Taylor Young? So, yeah. What did she think of 2022? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, have to well, contact She kind of left acting, and she was off doing... She was into politics, and mm -hmm. she was into uh, meditation and all these different... Well, that Soylent Green scared the poop out of her. She was trying to avoid, you know. <laughs> Who knows? And that's that's another interesting thing. And I wish I could find this. 
Um, obviously, women did not fare well in the world of Soylent Green. I know. That was another hard thing. to. Uh, yeah. And so years ago, I had read an article, which was an interview with um, Heston from around the time the movie was made. And I guess a lot of um, feminists of the time had complained about that. And, and I remember in this interview, him kind of saying, look, if if Gloria Steinem thinks women are going to do well, if we have a apocalyptic thing happen, she's sadly mistaken. I could not find this article to save my mm. life. I feel like that's kind of admitting my Google skills have failed me, but <laughs> I, I looked everywhere, Internet Archive everywhere, and I, I couldn't turn it up. But I mean, it's an interesting thing to consider because I do think that when things start going downhill, um, certain groups, their rights start getting trampled on pretty quick. Um, and it, I don't know that I believe when women wind up being like attached to an apartment, like, you know, they called them furniture and everything, uh, you know, is that possible? Well, almost anything is possible, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I could imagine a future where a lot of the, um, if, if things go downhill economically, a lot of the progress women have made could go downhill. And you look at a lot of countries um, that are developing or, you know, very economically um, disadvantaged, women don't have a lot of rights. So you know, you're you're probably right, unfortunately. And what kind of struck me too is, um, you know, a little while ago, Diane Feinstein passed away, mm -hmm. and it, it turns out that she was one of the first congressional women to to be in the Senate, and and that's like in your life modern lifetime. history. You know, that's yeah. not like fifty years or a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it just it was an uncomfortable. You know, not not to digress too much, but Jasmine, we were watching uh, the original MASH film and, and the way that they treated Hot Lips. She was like, that's that's terrible. That's horrible. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just a sign of the times. And even though this was supposed to take place in the future, it still was, you know, that that type of dystopian hopelessness. So much hopelessness. Mm -hmm. well, that's um, also the, the complaint that some people have on the early Bond films, mm. the way that Connery treated the women in those. Well, it, it, and again, not to take away from Soylent Green, but there's this wonderful three-part series on Netflix about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. The first part is about his um, bodybuilding. The second part is uh, about his acting. And the third part is his political career. And he's he's very honest in, in the successes and the mistakes of his life. And at one point, I, I don't know if it was his first term or second term, I don't remember running for governor, probably the first because days before yeah. the election. I think this, it was the first. The, yeah, it had to be the first because you know, they put an article out saying um, so-and-so says, you you know, you, you touched her inappropriately. And, and, you know, there were some other women who made the same claim and, and he, you know, his advisor started advising him what to do, what to say. And he says, no, he says, look, uh, it was the 70s. Did I touch this woman inappropriately? I did. And for that, I'm sorry. Um, you know, did I smoke dope, you know, marijuana back in the 70s? Yeah, I did. 
a lot of people did. And I'm, I'm having this conversation with my mother and she's like, oh yeah, I had a joint back in the seventies. I'm like, what? <laughs> but yeah, you know, that being said, you, you get the, the idea that, Hey, you know, not, not to make excuses. It, it wasn't right then. And it's not right now, but well, you know, he, he fessed up to it and apologized. That's good. And I think people have trouble putting things into context, right? You know, not that anything was ever appropriate back no. whenever, but the issue is that a lot of this stuff was just accepted. You know, sexism was there and it was accepted and, and it was very standard. And that's not saying that that was a good thing. Right. But I, that was the way people thought about things. And that well, so you yeah, have to be able to understand everything, that. Everything, whether it's like movies or or music or TV shows, it's all a product of his time. Right. I was going to say yeah. the same thing, Bob. And even though they try to say, well, it's, you know, 50 years in the future, it's still being made in the 70s right. where the culture is what it is. That well, you know, it, it's interesting because when Disney first released, like, the complete like Mickey Mouse box set or whatever. And there's some stuff that happens in some of those early Mickey Mouse cartoons that's, you know, pretty heavy stuff, a lot of smoking and everything else. And luckily they didn't edit it. They didn't blur it out. They didn't eliminate the, they actually had just had an explanation, you know, this is a product of his times and, you know, this has happened back then. And so it's almost like an educational tool. No. It's like, you know, they say you're cursed to re repeat your mistakes if you don't acknowledge them. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, you watch these old shows and stuff. It's like, well, yeah, that's how it was back then. And mm -hmm. it's not the way it is now or shouldn't be. But, you know, right. this this is a learning experience. rather. Well, than, and, and look, I love Star Trek. Exactly. We all love Star Trek, but we know sure as heck. No one's going to be wearing those short skirts, uh, you know, once we start traversing galaxies. But it was the 60s. That's, yeah. the, you know, they, they, they did their best to say. Yeah. Right. Or those fans. Laugh, of... Go ahead. I was going to say what makes me laugh nowadays is when I go to watch a show on, you know, Netflix or some other streaming channel and they put a little warning up in the top and it says warning smoking. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. I'm just like, okay, I think I'm okay. I can handle it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it cracks me up because I look at those little things in the corner and I'll say, you know, sex, violence, nudity, and adult situations or whatever, and I'll go, hey, this one's got it all. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is it's, that a warning or an advertisement? It's kind of funny. Well, if they if they did that for the invaders, be like a smoking one every episode because those people are smoking oh, yeah. constantly. That's crazy. It reminds me of when people would come over to visit my folks, and they'd all sit around the dining table and like there'd just be this haze. You couldn't even <laughs> see their heads. Mm -hmm. I mean, my parents didn't smoke, but they had ashtrays all over the place. Uh -huh. People would come over, they would. Yeah. yeah. The way it was, you even on an airplane, smoke on a plane. Yeah, that's no, you can't so. think about that now. It seems <clears> broad. But getting back to Soylent Green, Soylent so, Green. Uh, you know, 
Saul finds out the truth and Saul, you know, those books that, um, that he got uh, about the soil and the studies uh, for the, um, the, the seaweed and the oceans and stuff like that and revelation and talks to the book club people, not the book club people, but the, the exchange. The exchange. That's what it was, the exchange. And the few uh, smart people left in the world. <laughs> it, it, not to make light of the situation because it was a very poignant scene, but it's just Saul saying, I'm out. Yeah. I'm, I'm done. Couldn't take it no more. No. Did you notice, too, this is kind of a sidebar, but because paper was so limited, all the the writing they did were like on those little erase. Yes, they <laughs> plastic stencils, and they had the little. I don't. Well, I would have saved mine from when I was a kid if I knew that. <laughs> what did we call those little things? I was we trying used? to think what the name of those things were. Uh, yeah, because like etch a sketch or something, or it had the, it was kind of the wax backing behind it, and it had the little plastic the gray sheet. sheet. And then yeah. and I I thought on one hand that could be like considered like really corny. But on the other hand, it was like, well, if you didn't, I mean, nowadays they would have just had like iPods or something. If they oh, do yeah. a new version of this, it would be like an an iPad uh, or something, a table, a tablet, I mean. Um, but yeah, it was funny. They were using the little sheets and or uh, look, if there's a power crisis, there might not be. A mini uh, electronics. That's true. You know, depending on on how far in the future they go. I mean, you know, the the sketch artist for uh, criminals, they were using the little magnet thing with those shaving. <laughs> <laughs> now, that would be funny. In that interview I watched with uh, with with, <laughs> with Charles and Heston. Um, yeah, he well, he was pointing out the fact that uh, Saul was one of the few people that could read or write. He was mm -hmm. right. few people who were literate. And he said, and I didn't catch this in the movie, but he said that those people were referred to as books. The books. Yeah. I read that too. But I, like I said, I didn't see it in the movie, but he mentioned it. And uh, yeah, so that's why, yeah, why he grabbed in the pencil and grabbed in the paper and, you know. Yeah, I had read... Oh, sorry, real quickly, that the first video game was introduced in this film, that stand-up right. console that they had. It was like Asteroids or something. Similar. It looked a lot like Asteroids, yeah. I was like, well, that's interesting. But Go ahead, Walker, sorry. Oh, I, yeah, it was a little confusing because at one point, I, I know, I don't know if I watched the interview or read it, but I the same thing as you guys, the way you say, well, you know, Saul could read and write, but Thorne is writing down notes when he's talking to people, so at least he has some capability, but maybe it's just that his education is limited and probably the masses can't read or write at all. Saul at one point says, you know, I was a professor. Mm -hmm. um, so he was obviously educated before things really completely fell apart. You know, I mean, he must or, have... or, or Heston, he could have uh, picked it up from Saul. I mean, That's true, too. He could have, yeah. He was Another, a uh... he could have taught him. Interesting factoid I came across was that this is one of the last motion pictures that was filmed on the MGM lot. Oh, yeah. And that the street scenes were kind of in disrepair, which kind of worked for the production, you know, <laughs> because it was a dystopian future. Um, 
but yeah, this is this. If not the last, it was one of the last films that were shot on that lot. A few lasts. So yeah. the last on the lot, and the last of Edward G. Robinson. The last of Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. I did think he almost became a. Uh, Dr. Zayas, if he had been able to handle the makeup, he could have been Dr. Zayas. Well, and they were saying uh, Heston, I think, first, you know, started working with him when he was um, attached to Planet of the Apes. Mm -hmm. And it was the same thing. He just couldn't handle, you know, the the makeup or the scheduling or, or whatever. And he just, you know, backed out. He's, well, he's actually, so actually uh, Edgar G. Robinson and Charlton Heston worked together in the Ten Commandments. Right. Oh, that's right. Right. And then when he, he brought him in to try out for, or to try the makeup for Planet of the Apes, and um, Edward G. Robinson, I guess, also had heart issues. Mm. And being in all that makeup kind of agitated him, and he was like, ah, it's no good for my heart. I don't want to do it. I got to, you know. I, I think he that. and Heston kind of remained friends. And uh, in that interview, I saw, you know, Charlton Heston said that, he lived just like blocks away from him down in the canyon where, where he mm. and had an amazing art collection, he said. Hmm. But, uh, you Interesting. Know, they weren't like best of friends, but they had kept in touch. And mm -hmm. Yeah, I got a sense from reading his um, autobiography that he was uh, really, really pleased to be able to work with Edward G. Robinson again, and he really respected him. So... For him, Indeed. you know, it, this was a great one for him because he got to make his movie about overpopulation, which was really important to him. And he got to work with one of his favorite actors to work mm -hmm. with. So, and it now, did pretty well, you know, so. Oh, absolutely. You, you guys know the director for this film was the son of. I, Fleischer. Was it the cartoon Fleischer? Yes, it was oh, a cartoon Fleischer. I didn't know that. Okay. That's that was interesting his father. Too. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Right, Richard he Fleischer. Also, uh, he also directed, well, like Fantastic Voyage and yes. mm -hmm. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And mm -hmm. So he has a very like fantasy, sci-fi kind of yeah, yeah, good pedigree. pedigree in the mm -hmm. genre. Indeed. So now, how do you guys think this falls into other dystopian films of the time, like Westworld, Logan's Run? Right. Um, what did you think? I, I thought this was more realistic, especially again mm -hmm. after the pandemic, where there's shortages on baby formula, toilet paper, shortages on Medicaid, on what? Toilet paper. Toilet paper. Do you remember? We couldn't get toilet paper. Jeez. My, my mother texts me and says, there's no toilet paper shortage, son. I'm like, what are you talking about, mother? I found red, yellow. I said, mom, that's streaming from the party store. That's not, she said, eh, well, you know. Works for both, right? <laughs> this is a woman back in North Dakota. They would use the uh, Sears catalog as, mm -hmm. as toilet paper because it was so soft. I'm like, my parents did that too. God yeah. bless them. Hey. Can't say that mine did, but. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, they, they have the scene too where Tuesday is Soylent Green Day and the Soylent Green comes out and people are just hoarding and crowding and stampeding to get mm -hmm. whatever green they can. And yeah, I mean, that 
that's definitely a look into the future because that's kind of, you know, every Christmas season or whatever. (laughs) That reminded me of when I went to one of the stores here back in 2020 and people went nutso grabbing bottles of water off a pallet. Um, Oh, trying to get um, hand sanitizer Toilet paper, any stuff like that. People were just pushing. Clorox wipes, let alone Clorox, Lysol. Right. So I do feel like this this feeling that we've maybe uh, talked about, about how this movie hit us differently. And some people might say, oh, you're exaggerating. Well, to each his own, right? Some people, everybody has a different experience of the last few years. But it definitely felt different for me seeing it this time. Because, like, yeah, there, there's some things that have happened that made me think differently about the film. Well, a lot of it um, is like the effects of the media. Like they'll go on the news and say, there's a shortage of toilet paper. And then suddenly everybody crowds the stores. They're all buying toilet paper. And yes, now there's a shortage of toilet paper. Right. And it's what I what I want to know is where's all the damn toilet paper that they hoarded? In their garages. <laughs> in their garage. <laughs> it's sort of a chicken People and the egg that thing. stuff like really quick sometimes. But but yeah. to get back to your thing about where does this fit in the oh. sort of pantheon of 70s dystopian films, um, I think it's a really good film. Mm-hmm. It it is to me though, because like you said, it it's the most realistic feeling. Because like something like Logan's Run, it's like that's a fun dystopia. <laughs> it's glitzy right. and a fantasy, which was yeah. also by the same director. Oh, interesting! And MGM as well. Good, good point. That's interesting. Um, or then like something. It's definitely a, a dour look at the future. It's yeah, it's definitely not. Right. I, I think it was more real, uh, <laughs> realistic. Uh, you had a corporation, you had a company, you had the police department, you had politicians, mm-hmm. you, you know, there there was a lot of overpopulation. There were a lot of things that kind of hit home that maybe aren't happening now, or maybe a piece of it happened up to this point or back then or whatever. Um, and that's what just kind of, you know, it was, it was more of a cautionary tale, I think. Well, yeah, and even if Heston's three, it's the least fun dystopia. Because if I'm an Omega Man, mm-hmm. oh, this is getting back to our Road to Apocalypse. Episode, I want to do another right? one of those. Which yes, we need to do another one because that, well, that was warm awesome. up the Dragon Mobile, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if you're an Omega Man, it's it's a little depressing because he's alone for a while, sure. right? So the loneliness thing. But he, but he has liquor. And, <laughs> He's got a a cool place. He's set up pretty good. He drives whatever car he wants. He's shooting, you know, family members. It's like, that's not. You watch Woodstock every day of his life. (laughs) You you may want to shoot yourself after a while. (laughs) Logan's run isn't that bad. Uh, What else have we got? Like silent running. Silent running is kind of sad. But it's in a space. I I think uh, Westworld was kind of. Sad, but kind of fun because of the robots. But is it really dystopian or is it just, you know? Yeah, I I don't think it's really, I think it's just futuristic. It's not really dystopian. Yeah. Damnation Alley. Damnation Alley is pretty bad. 
the big cockroaches and stuff. Death Race 2000. You get to run Frankenstein, over Frankenstein, Frankenstein. That's feature features uh, Friday night. <laughs> so this one is pretty bleak. It is. And it's there's too many similarities to things that and you know did, did did he live or did he die? His bloody hand was up. You got to tell them it's people. And there's Brock Peterson. I'll tell him. I'll tell him. But well, did he? Right. Will any they, anything change? And th- this is the thing. Those people are so apathetic. If you told them soil and green is made of people, are they going to do anything, or are they just going to go? Well, is there anything they they can do? Hold the people accountable that brought us to that point, or you know, that are running the soil and whatever you're you're scratching to get by. How are you going to suddenly fight the fight the man and you know go up against the government? If if Caesar and the apes could have an uprising, (laughs) (laughs) I mean this this movie definitely is a precursor to the one percent. Yeah. One percent running. And and that's, that's just leads to the whole like harshness of the film. (laughs) You know, there's no, but I I will say one of the things I appreciate, uh, there's no sequel, you know, this is its its own. And I've talked about, we've talked about before the matrix didn't need any of the sequels. It, It was itself its own, Soylent Green had a beginning, middle, and an end, and it's unapologetic, and you can do with it what you what you mm-hmm. like. Done of Soylent Green. So bravo. There are other films like Planet of the Apes that need umpteen sequels. Milk it for all it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I wonder if they ever approached Heston and like, hey... Charles, let's well, do a sequel. From what I've seen and read, I don't know if it really made all that much money. I mean, the box office only did like $35 million or something at the box office. Hmm. And, uh, it was respectable. I couldn't see what the budget was. Hmm. Yeah, figure, you know, I don't know what budget. Hmm. Probably, if, probably didn't do the business that apes did, so they wanted to... He had other things to go on to. Well, yeah, yeah, I think he made his statement. And also he, one of the things, he likes to his characters to die in his movies. You know, it's he very does. dramatic. So yeah. he didn't want to come back. I don't know if Thorne died. I think you could probably, it's a 50-50 shot, you know. But um, yeah, he said what he wanted to say and... Did what he had to do. Off he, off he went to the next movie, right? I'm I'm coming to join you, Saul. <laughs> <laughs> I just Earthquake and sense around. <laughs> I I kind of hope nobody tries to do a remake of this film. I could see somebody trying to do it, but the problem is everybody knows the punchline now. So they'd have to change it somehow, and then they'd yeah. probably change it in a really stupid way. So, Well, yes and no. You know, they did that remake of Psycho scene for scene, and it you know, was in color, and, and that just... Yeah. So let's hope <laughs> this is never remade. Um, any last thoughts? I don't know if they or... would want to remake it, though. I mean, it's like, it seems like Hollywood always wants movies that are hopeful. Well, they could always change the end. I don't know if they could. 
<laughs> yeah, they could. <laughs> Turns out that Soylent Green was bacon. So <laughs> that was Soylent Brown. <laughs> Saul, Saul would find the notes for a machine that would f- fix the atmosphere and <laughs> save the world. Yeah, there you go. It could, it could happen. Look, with all the streaming channels now, um, who knows? Let's look they, hot, though. They'd make a mini series out of it, and it would take him like two years to find out Soylent Green was people. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> Any any last thoughts? Any last comments before we vacate the apartment or the condo? And well, it's, it's a good movie. It's worth a watch now and then. Definitely, it's not something I'll you know, I'll probably never get to like ten, twelve views of it. But you know, I've seen I've seen it maybe three, four times. I did see it in the theater when it came out. <laughs> The Hillsdale Cinema in San Mateo. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was I was going to all those Charlton Heston movies back then, all Planet of the Apes and you know Earthquake and every all of them. I went and uh, saw just about all of them in the theater. He was cool. big back then, big action. He stuff. was, you know. And people say a lot of negative things about Charlton Heston's acting ability, but I, I look at him as like sort of an archetype. And I don't expect especially nuanced acting from him. I just want him to sort of, you know, deliver the goods. And I, I think he does fine. And I actually thought he was pretty good in this. Like I thought maybe having somebody of Edward G. Robinson's caliber kind of brought him up too, you know, oh, like yeah. he did a really yeah. good job in it. Um, so yeah, I I think of, of, of the, if you wanted to compare, I mean, Planet of the Apes is in its own category, but if you wanted to compare Silent Green and Omega Man, I enjoy Omega Man more because it's just a big action movie and it's fun. But I think he did a better acting job probably in Silent Green, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way with like Alien and Aliens. You know, one is a horror movie and one is a action adventure movie. Mm-hmm. And um Yin and Yang and Stop It There. Yeah, and Sigourney Weaver, I love her in in both. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I understand your point about Mr. Heston and the of film. Of course, the most brilliant it. thing he ever did was that sketch on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> <laughs> where he was—I don't remember the name of the character, but he had some sort of mental deficiency and was talking about murdering somebody with a shovel and yeah. <laughs> kept talk calling everybody captain. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Looking up Adam Sandler. Chris there. The fact uh, that he was just game to do that was like <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah, that that is a classic. Well my friends, this was another fun uh adventure into uh, dystopian cinema hopefully we can get bob to warm up the dragon mobile like i say we'll go traveling through some of these dystopian yeah. films I'm, I'm i'm excited we should do it again it's ready to go well yeah, there you go uh this is the point uh where we talk about what we're watching uh, items that have come into our possession recently what we're planning on watching things that we're going to do um 
straight away let's kick it over to bob he's got some news to share with oh there's just like so much going on right now and Um, real real quickly those of you watching on youtube and we hope you are you would have seen portions of the charlton heston book you'll see the cool green shirt that bob is sporting planet eight planet eight and uh any paraphernalia that bob may share and or i and karen take it away chief sorry about that i have i have no paraphernalia this time around but shocking i know <laughs> but i do have some cool things going on it is uh as i've mentioned on previous episodes uh there is a new godzilla movie coming out godzilla mm. minus one it uh, premiered in Japan November 1st. It's coming to America, America. December 1st, although they're going to have a little preview on uh, November 29th. And on uh, this Friday, which is... Uh, what is today? We're recording today on the 6th or something? Or is it the 11th? Um, so on this coming Friday, Keith Aiken and I will be going down to L.A. for the red carpet premiere of Godzilla Minus One. The director will be there. Uh, this is being, being put on by Toho. So they, they uh, invited us through Sci-Fi Japan to be down there. And uh, so, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Maybe I'll take a little video, I'll take some photos, and we'll share them <laughs> on, the, on the podcast. Um, and we'll see, you know, see who else. I'm sure there's going to be other people, directors, whatever, that just happen to show up. I mean, when we went to the uh, premiere of Godzilla King of the Monsters, Gareth Edwards was there because he, right. he had made uh, Godzilla 2014. So Keith and I ran into him. We had a nice little chat with him, took a picture with him and everything. Nice guy. Um, So, yeah, I mean, who knows who will show up on this thing. And then also via Sci-Fi Japan, um, we were able to get the first eight episodes of Monarch Legacy of Monsters, which is the Godzilla series coming up on Apple TV+. Plus. It starts on November 15th, and uh, we've had it since mid-October. But uh, I've watched up through episode eight. Really good. I think people that complain about the characters of some of these legendary films, they'll dig this definitely. Uh, Stars, Kurt Russell, who we all know and love. It also stars his son, Wyatt Russell. And the cool thing is the story takes place. It goes back and forth from... 1955 when monarch is starting and then it goes into 2015 a year after Godzilla's first appearance in san francisco so kurt and wyatt are playing the exact same character <laughs> wyatt plays him in his younger days and kurt plays him in his present older days so uh, it works really well the two of them definitely have the same acting style so uh, it's very, very cool. I definitely recommend it. Some cool monsters and uh, cool action scenes. And uh, so it's a good one. And Very cool. Other than that, um, 
Yeah, I've been binging. What have we been binging? We watched Gen V, which is a spinoff from The Boys. Mm-hmm. And uh takes place at a university for supers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vought, that made the uh, drug that turns people into supers, they have a laboratory down underneath the college with some nefarious uh, intent. So uh, it's definitely something to check out. It, it was actually really good. If you like the boys, you'll love this. There's even a cameo in there of Soldier Boy. Hmm. Of course, is played by... Jensen Ackles. That's right. Jensen Ackles, who played Dean in Supernatural. So uh, he's in there for a bit. Homelander is actually in it for a little bit. Ooh, scary. So, um, yeah, no, that's that's good. And we just started binging the third season of Lupin on uh, Netflix. And this is not like Lupin the Third cartoon, whatever. This is live action, a French series. Hmm. That follows this character, Hassan Diop. And uh, he grew up reading the Lupin novels. And so... He basically does all these jewel heists and all these different things and models himself and his heists after uh, the classic Lupin stories. And nice. So it's very, very entertaining. So very cool. Pretty much what we have been doing. Excellent. Walker, what do you got for us? Well, I don't have anything nearly exciting as going to the red carpet <laughs> premiere. You've and got I a realized book. You got the book. Oh, well, yeah, I got the Charlton Heston book. So the big book. It's a very it's almost 600. He has a lot to say. This man, (laughs) he lived a life. (laughs) The interesting thing is the the back cover of this edition, which you can't really see because I've got my background on. It's a picture of him from Ben-Hur. Oh, nice. But then the front cover is him somewhat older with a rifle over his shoulder. So I don't know what sort of statement. I feel like there's a statement there. I'm not sure really what to say about that. You'd have to pry that from his cold dead. <laughs> it was funny. I found this book last year at a bookstore. I'd been hoping to, to get it, but it was one of those things where I didn't want to order it. I didn't want it enough to go out and order it. I just kept looking around at different bookstores and then it finally popped up. So, and luckily I had it for this podcast. Nice. Um, Didn't want it enough to buy it, but. Well, you know, it's like there's certain things you want so much. You just go right out and you search Amazon or thrift books or whatever and say, yeah, I just order it. Just give Mm -hmm. it to me. And then there's other stuff. You're like, if it comes into my universe, then I will get it. So, And the price is right. And the price is right. It shows I, up at Half Price Books. Half Price is great. I love there Half Price Books. Um, and they feel like a dummy because Bob sent me a really cool Godzilla Fest shirt. And it's in the other room. Yes, that's the one. So Larry is wearing it. Folks who are not, <laughs> not on YouTube... Larry is wearing the Godzilla Fest shirt, which is very colorful drawings of Godzilla and other characters. And it's a really cool shirt. In front so of that's... the Castro Theater. Mm. And it was, well, it's the, the Balboa Theater. Balboa. Balboa. Sorry, my bad. Balboa. And the artist that did that was Nick Pino. We'll be doing our shirt for the next 
Godzilla Fest. Very nice. Well, he did a very good job. So it's a very good fast. The shirts, we generally have shirts left over after the show. This shirt sold out halfway through the second day. Wow. Gone. Well, nice. th thanks for sending me one, buddy. I appreciate oh. it. Well, my friends, we um, here at Mobile Command have been binging Goosebumps on Disney Plus. Hmm. Um, and it was pretty good, actually. It's eight episodes. There's going to be a second season. They kind of lead up to stuff. They got some some fun actors doing stuff. Um, those of you on YouTube, you saw the shirt. Godzilla shirt, and I have a LP, long playing record, made of this thing called vinyl. 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 The Bomboris uh, band or group. Um, this cover is by Shag, the artist. Ah, and, uh, nice. It is a very cool collection ufo on the back yeah yeah and, and skeletons so how cool is that i'm going to what type of music is this bomboris surf guitar the uh, best music yes <laughs> and and they're pretty good too I, I i will say i i enjoyed it thoroughly um i i don't have the setup that i used to but i do have a nice little portable record player that i can hook up to my speaker and Oh, well, and they gave me a digital download so I can listen to it on my oh. phone, too. So, you know, there you go. but there's something about vinyl that just has that quality. Um, to surprise Bob and Karen, I reached out to the Fan Expo uh, people. They do um, these. Uh, it's kind of a Comic Con. Uh, it's it's more so autographs. And then they'll sell like shirts and pillows and there's like fan groups Moscone or somewhere it's at the Moscone. it's it's later this month i was able to get a press pass which oh. I, I i didn't get one last year they offered nice. me a day um apparently our outer limits episode is really uh convincing a lot of these organizations to no, just <laughs> and with the little package the email package they sent me and they says hey if you want to schedule an interview let us know we're going to see who's available uh, submit your request. So I submitted a request to interview Sean Astin, Bill Shatner, Katie Sackoff, Ewan McGregor, and Mark Hamill. Wow. Well, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, I, I didn't expect to hear back from them so that I heard back from them was, and, and they didn't commit to anything. They're like, eh, you know, We'll see what we can do. Um, but it'll be exciting. I don't know that I can go all three days, but um, uh, yeah, um, probably December 8th episode. We'll hear more about uh, how that went. Bob, if we have a chance, can we throw some Halloween animatronic videos from uh, your place and my place? On I that? have done one. Okay. I have it ready to go, so I will insert it in the episode. I will send you mine. It's very short, but sweet. Yeah, mine's about four and a half minutes. Okay, cool. I just chose <laughs> one song, like Spook Walk from the Moon Rays, and uh, put oh, a bunch okay. of to it. So. I got to up my game. I got to add music to mine. Right. <laughs> 
All right, kids. Or just any, you know, any... just put a mic to your mouth. And go do 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 do. Maybe I'll put mine to Benny Hill. Anything else you guys have before we sign off? Well, like I say, maybe next episode I'll have. Uh, some Godzilla goodies. And, that would be cool. And what, what is the next episode, by the way? It's our oh. special Thanksgiving episode. That's right. About Bob does not have star. to do any homework for it all. <laughs> <laughs> Someone you know who what? is a legend. That, absolutely. So stay tuned, kids. <laughs> Um, before we sign off, uh, I just want to give thanks and, uh, acknowledgement to a dear friend of mine who I worked with for a number of years, uh, almost a mentor. He was, uh, so passionate in our, in our union and, uh, was just a friend to all Steve Howell, uh, God rest his soul, 79 years young, passed away, uh, mm-hmm. last week. Um, Stevie. I miss you and appreciate you. And um, I'm sorry to end on a, on a bum note because maybe, you know, uh, he was my Saul. No, see, that's. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, here you go. I mean, there's another thank you we should put out now. Yes. And then we don't put out quite enough. And that's to Project Pimento. Oh, yes. Yeah. Use their song for our end theme on just you know, about the episode. Actually, Bob, I played their theme when I filmed my stuff on the portable speaker. So maybe I'll throw that uh, on, on my Halloween. But yeah, Project Pimento, check them out. Um, I think it's projectpimento.com. We had them on the, the Vlogspot page. I'm not sure yeah. um, if we have them here. But yeah, projectpimento.com. Tell them Planet Well, we should have them on an episode and talk to them a little bit. Yeah. That's I'll, I'll reach out to them. That'll be fun. Um, after we get to Mark Hamill and uh, we'll <laughs> fingers crossed, I, you know, people dying to speak to us. Hey, if I could at least get Mark Hamill to say, this is Mark Hamill. You're listening to Planet Aid podcast. I'll be happy <laughs> if, if he wants to answer some questions. I'll be happy. You know, Bill Shatner. I, I mean, I'm, do it as the Joker. Oh, man. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> let's hope. <laughs> um, but anyway, you all, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Hey, look, click the like button. Click please. the subscribe button. Please and thank you. And comment. Yes, please and thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, we appreciate you guys. Stay safe. Take care. Until we meet again, Planet 8 signing off. Peace out. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet 8 Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet eight podcast we want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode we look forward to your input and opinions 
Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.